Go ahead. You want to act taller than now? You go right ahead, but I'm not giving it back. I'm going to take that car, I'm going to sell it to pussy, and then I'm going to buy clothes and food and shoes and CD players and all the rest of the shit that I've been buying since the day you were born. Everything this family has comes from the work I do. All right, Tony, that's enough. A grown man made a wager. He lost. He made another one. He lost again. End of story. So take that high moral ground and go sleep in a fucking bus station if you want. Oh, telling it like it is, breaking it down for your teenage daughter like only Tony Soprano can do. Welcome, my friends, to Cut to Black, a Soprano sit-down. I am Jim Scampoli. I am Jacob Burrows, and sometimes I play a little game that I like to call What Clip Is Jim Gonna Pick? (laughs) And I gotta tell you, this week I was off. I was real wrong, guys. I thought it would be more cheese-related. I mean, it absolutely was that clip through most of the episode, but it was hard not to... I mean, it was that clip. It was the cheese. uh, Fucking, uh, I like cheese. I put cheese in my socks before I fuck your mother or whatever it is he says. Leave the motherfucking cock-sucking cheese where it is. Silvio, great line. But that Tony scene, he completely breaks down like the show in general. And even yeah. it doesn't make Tony a good person, obviously, but he's dropping some real truth, and uh, I just uh, I love it. And I guess reading up on this episode that we're discussing here, the Happy Wanderer, written by Frank Ranzuli, who we hear multiple times and will continue to hear uh, as a writer of episodes here, directed by John Patterson. Uh, James Gandolfini did win his first primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Lead Actor for this episode. Oh. Oh, shit. I did not know that, but it makes sense. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I see where you're coming from because there's no story related to cheese here. <laughs> like, Silvio is, li- is literally just comic relief, and yet in these gangster-type, you know, stories, it's often when it's, like, comic relief that it's like, wow, what a great fucking line. doesn't have anything to do with anything. He's just really mad right now, but it's cool. But Tony's also really mad, and it has everything to do with everything. So I approve. Yeah, I mean, believe me, we're so close to hearing about the motherfucking cock sucking cheese and leaving it where it is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love cheese. Hey, cheese fuck. Go get me some food. <laughs> yes. Uh, maybe we're jumping we'll, ahead, uh, though. But uh, Silvio, yes, we've got some great lines in this episode. Yeah, maybe maybe we got an outro. I don't know. Just saying, <laughs> maybe. Um, yes, we're here to discuss, discuss The Happy Wanderer. How many primetime Emmy Best Lead Actor did he get? I assume more than one. Good question. Uh, let me double check. I mean, yeah, he he would have to, right? Because he's the uh, the fucking best. Uh, I mean, he's exactly. he's straight killing it constantly. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see his where's his awards here. I mean, obviously, soprano. No, nominated, 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 nominated a bunch of times. Uh, looks like he may have won in 2000, 2001, and 2003. From what I'm looking at here. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, yeah. that is a fair. That's a fair share, but and I look forward to seeing uh, what other what other episodes cropped up. But uh, you're right; he does sort of encapsulate the whole show there and sort of shut it down because Meadows. I mean, we're jumping ahead, but Meadows not wrong, but Tony is even more not wrong. You know? Yes. Yeah. It's just uh, you got to admire the the harsh reality of. Like, cause I mean, we're going to get there, but Tony does such a fucked up thing when he gives her, her friend's car because he's clearly, I mean, it's not that subtle, obviously. I mean, the episode's called the happy wanderer. We hear Tony talk about this, the happy go lucky guy and how he wants to smash his fucking face. And then we get this literal person here in this episode played by the T 1000 himself, uh, Robert Patrick. And, uh, Tony just wants everyone to know that he's a piece of shit, too. You know, like this degenerate gambler that people would probably respect over him just because he is, you know, a guy that owns his own sporting goods store and seems like he's got everything going for him. But in his own life, he's just a piece of shit gambler and he wants to rub everyone's face into it and give his daughter <laughs> her friend's car. Yes. Uh, and it's such a fucked up thing to do. But then. It is that reality. Like everything you get is because of another version of this. Uh, someone, someone else is suffering, uh, and so like 
I mean, he's wrong to rub it in their face, but what he's saying is completely right, and it's such a great scene. Oh, uh, did you mean specifically with the family? Because I thought you were getting philosophical, where everything we get is due to someone else's suffering. <laughs> yeah, I guess a little bit of both. The royal yeah, okay, we. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, let's go to the start of the episode, I suggest, where, where, where we have all the family sitting and looking at this uh, lecture about different colleges, which I guess is a thing that is... Uh, that happens. I was actually thing. thinking this during the scene. I was wondering if there was any type of reference from your end. Uh, for people that don't know, if you're just tuning in to our podcast, Jacob uh, is from Sweden. He lives in Sweden. He's full-blown Swedish, uh, mm -hmm. where I don't know if they, they they don't worry about these pesky like student loans and um, like colleges oh, yeah. coming to your high school and kind of having to like sell themselves to you in a weird way. Like, hey, check us out. We're great. You should give us a I bunch of money to come here. I guess it does kind of happen. I mean, there's sort of fares for you got to I mean, even though it's, you know, gravy, gravy lane, you don't got to pay for it. You still got to figure out what you want to do. And True. I guess universities are still like eager to get people. Obviously, their funding depends on how many students they have and stuff like that. But I think it's more in the line of the different educations, if that makes sense. Like there's actually I'd say kind of less of a rivalry between schools and more sort of, oh, where are the people studying economics or law or what have you. Um, so people would come and try to sell you on getting their type of education. And there's all sorts of, that, that wouldn't happen in the classroom though. It would be some sort of fair, I think. Now we're gonna go to the career fair or whatever. I've seen that in US shows as well. So it's gotta happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the, this, uh, the way they have it uh, here on the show is probably not quite what I experienced either. It was more like a, like a college fair where you go to your school and in like the cafeteria or in the gymnasium, they'd have all these booths set up with different colleges and their brochures and whatnot. And, uh, I mean, it is a weird thing when you think about it because there's the push and pull, like, we're, like, especially here in this episode, we're seeing like they're selling, I think Brown university. It's like someone from Brown, like talking about how great Brown is, but it's this weird, like, um, they're negging you in a way because they also have to make it seem like it's really hard to get in because that makes you want to get in even more. Because mm. I mean, because we've seen constantly with Meadow of how like you know she's doing her recital here and she's doing these other electives to make it look good on your college uh, uh, on your college application. And then even yeah. uh, Carmilla has that comment of like, uh, just so you know, that his mother is good friends with the brother-in-law of a provost at Brown or whatever it is. Like, yes, just... and and like they're making food to to bring to school uh, uh, to impress yeah. the people. And uh, I mean that doesn't that that doesn't happen here. And also all this stuff about oh you got to get your extracurricular activities in line and you got to write an essay and all that. Nah, you just get get decent grades here or you take a test. And that's how you get into whatever school you want to get into. I mean, I recognize this. This is some real old school English, like Cambridge, write a fucking essay. And all of your family, by the way, also needs to have gone here for you to get in um, or something or get a scholarship or what have you. But uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a trash person from like, I just go to, I did go to not the most distinguished university. So, hey, who knows? Uh, it's quite a Actually, tangle. Hang on, sorry. Let me cut you off. I, I do know because I know, like, almost everyone I went to school with went off and became a doctor. Like, there, it's <laughs> you don't need to write a fucking essay. You just do the thing, get your grades, get write, do a test. None of this bullshit. Well, I mean, I guess. Well, I mean, obviously, movies and TV, they're gonna play things up a bit. But then again, because. I didn't really deal with that. I didn't do any like extracurricular activities, but then again, I didn't go to a great school either. So maybe, <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, here we are. But anyways, uh, uh, yeah. Well, and one of my favorite things I love is when we, when we delve into the more mundane suburban lifestyle of Tony Soprano, like, like for ex example here, when he's dealing with, you know, Meadow and colleges and kind of going to this, school college fair to learn about different schools with her i like that Artie buco is usually involved um mm -hmm. because in, in a way i mean this character we have this david character played again by the t1000 himself robert patrick from terminator 2 mm -hmm. uh he this could very well just be Artie buco but you know it's the show being like well we don't want this would get rid of Artie buco in a way if we had this you know these course of events happen or it's like the fine line that Artie buco uh walks because of like charmaine in his life and stuff that doesn't let him get too involved with tony soprano 
uh, so he doesn't get to this point where he owes them, you know, 45 boxes of ZD. Uh, so I don't know. I just like that this, because he's in his own way, obviously, a happy wanderer. He's just a lovable goof. And I like that he's along for these rides, whether it be the, you know, the soccer stuff in season one. And now here we are back again dealing with this guy who, you know, they kind of they insert this character. But then, you know, from the way they talk, he's been around as well, like since high school, like he's known Tony since then as well. But he's still pretty naive to the reality of the whole thing. Yes. Um, And Artie's there. And I always think like. Oh, yeah, you're just palling around. I remember when you had a gun on, Tony. That wasn't that long <laughs> yeah, ago. Um, but, hey, forgive and forget, Tony, I'm impressed because uh, uh, he totally just lied. Like, when it, when you get caught in your lie, just double down and lie <laughs> even harder, and then your friendship will last forever, I guess. Absolutely. He did it for the good of the friendship, if you really think about it. Absolutely. Uh, so, David... <laughs> he starts talking to tony about i heard through the grapevine that you took over your uncle's game and he talks and this whole scene and by like half the episode i'm like ah yes the mob game he took over the mob game the executive game yeah he's an executive mobster now and then i'm like oh it's poker they're playing cards jacob you're a fucking idiot yeah he's talking about an actual game uh and i mean it is like so this guy is aware of you know what Tony's up to or what he's into but I guess it's just cuz he is a degenerate gambler that he thinks he can beat the whole thing and he can roll with the executives and I guess he sees this as a great opportunity to get involved cuz I I mean obviously I get the impression he never had an opportunity to get into Junior's game Junior isn't going to let mm-hmm. this guy in um yeah. but yeah then we kind of go to Tony and Melfi and Tony basically sets up this whole episode, like telling his story, like starting out by, by telling Dr. Melfi he wants to smash her fucking face into hamburger or a million pieces or whatever it is he tells her because Tony is angry and he doesn't know why he's angry. He feels like he shouldn't be, but he still is. He doesn't know who he's angry at. And I feel like a lot of people could maybe relate to that. Yeah, Tony's so relatable here when he talks about seeing someone smiling on the street and he's just angry at them. And he even says, I mean, why? Why am I angry at him? I should be happy. Hey, I should say good for you. Um, But he doesn't feel like that. I think that's a very kind of universal thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, if it's a constant thing, uh, you should talk to Melfi or someone. But I, okay. I feel like I feel like just through motions every now and then, if you have like if you're going through bad stuff and you're wondering why, like what's what makes this guy so great? When in reality, that person also is dealing with their own shit, and it just appears that they're this happy-go-lucky person. And I mean, you could tie that into social media these days. They have what the studies about how it makes people depressed because you think that all your friends are like living their best life. When meanwhile, everyone is sad looking at each other's Instagram pictures thinking they're having the greatest life ever. Yes. Could you imagine a present day Sopranos soft reboot where they're all on social media and Tony's all upset that he hasn't got the right followers? And oh my God, I'm glad that will never happen. Yeah. Uh, or will it? Crossed. Yeah. Uh, and, and Tony does bring up Gary Cooper, the strong silent type. If you remember, he does, I believe it's the pilot when he first talks about this. Yeah, he says, remember in the first episode when I talked about this? (laughs) And it's kind of a common thing. Tony always looks to Gary Cooper, and he wants to be that, you know, the the strong, silent man that has it all figured out. Uh, But now he he is putting himself with the, what, the losers and the douchebags that he sees coming through here (laughs) talking to Melfi because, you know, he realizes he is this guy now. He's the guy that he likes to think he's better than the person that has to go in and kind of speak his emotions and kind of cry on Melfi's shoulder for a little bit, even if it is the right choice. Yes. And even if I, uh, I I guess I'm touching on the next scene with Melfi, but um, it's hard to see her the same way as in season one, because Mm. in season one, we only saw her in therapy or reacting to Tony's, fucking crazy behavior outside of therapy as well so she was always very reasonable and now in the next scene when she's kind of like it seems like she's lashing out because of what he said last time or like oh you want to smash my face and you think everyone all my patients are douchebags and it seems like she's angry about it and 
part of me has to weigh like, okay, well, she's probably just say, you know, she is the person she needs to be to get the reaction she thinks is the right reaction and so on. But at the same time, I've now seen her actually unbalanced and, you know, big girls don't cry. In that episode, we saw her break down and act like a, like a regressed version of herself and all this psychological stuff. It's like the happy wanderer, psychologically speaking, um... She uh, she used to seem so stable, and now when she does stuff like this, I'm kind of like, Melfi, how much of this is professional and how much isn't? Um, well, so that's an interesting new aspect. It is, yeah, it is an interesting way to reframe the Melfi character, because like you said, we have seen her in more vulnerable, I guess, real positions and uh, not always making the best personal choices. Because I, I was reading a little bit, some other people were saying the same thing, the way she keeps bringing up the smash her face in and maybe she's taking it a a bit personal, but I, I, I read it more as she's speaking to him on his level in a way. Um, cause even later on in that scene, when he brings up how he found out he, he has a retarded uncle and then she says, you know, development, developmentally disabled or what have you. And then a second later when he doesn't like respond well to that, she says retarded, like it's kind of being like, okay, I'll talk like you talk. Let's get on the same level. Uh, so I kind of took it more as that, but it's definitely hard not to look at Melfi and yes, a completely new light than uh, season one. That's interesting because I that also was a thing where I read it more as her using the rough language, not exactly as an attack, but sort of I think she's is upset that I mean I think she's upset that he would call the people going there all douchebags and scumbags but part of that is her she's also upset with him calling himself that if that makes sense so mm. she's against it on several levels um but yes it adds a bit more uh a bit more of a dimension to the whole interaction which is interesting yes um, and then uh I mean I guess if we cut back a bit here after the first Melfi and Tony scene where he kind of talks about his feelings and how he wants to, you know, beat the shit out of happy people, uh, mm-hmm. we, we, cut, we cut to a poker game that Richie's running, and we see that, um, uh, is this where, we, yeah, I think we see, what's his face there, Davey? Is he at this game? Yeah, he's there. Okay, he's there, and Artie's there as well, and he's winning, and like he's cashing out responsibly, like you do when you win a big thing. And everyone's like, "Oh, come on, give me the money!" But um, yeah, he's there. Is that his name, David? Yes. Um, Yeah, David. He's there, and as you said, I mean, clearly he's kind of plugged into what's going on because he's there with Richie. and granted, Artie as well, but I mean, he's he's already borrowing money off Richie and says, can I have another dime? I don't know. I guess a dime is a hundred or a thousand. I don't even know. It's a box of dimes. Who knows? Yeah, it must but, be uh, like a thousand because here he's dealing with like by the end of this, he's in the hole with Richie like seven or eight grand. And that's yeah. already ridiculous for him. So later on when he's in 45 boxes of ZD, oh, you dumbass, you piece of shit. <laughs> Yeah, and I did think at that point, like, uh, you got this nice house, but then I remembered he did say that, like, I took out a second loan on the house, um, like you do, so apparently not not going great there. But his kid and Meadow has such great chemistry when they're singing. Actually, it's not great. As the music teacher says, we've got our work cut out for us. Well, it's so funny to me because, I mean, again, I guess they're not great, but... I mean, it's funny. It just seems like they're fine. And then the teacher's like, oh, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> like we got our work. Like, she's just being a bitch for some reason. Uh, eh, but that's how I, I read it. Oh. I was with her on that. <laughs> uh, I mean, she's doing better than Eric as well, um, which I think is part of their whole dynamic this episode. Yeah. And that she wanted the solo all along and... Uh, I mean, that's what she does afterwards, talks to her like, I need the solo now for my college application. Oh, if I can't sing, how will I study? Yeah. Makes sense. Imagine if the college was concerned that she didn't have a solo and fucking, uh, what what night is it? Um, ah, I can't think of the, the musical night that it is. It's, ah, whatever. Get back to it. I didn't even know it had a name, so never mind. Um, then we have Tony meeting up with Junior, and they're talking about this game, uh, and I start to get an inkling that it's not just being the boss, it's maybe related to this poker stuff going on. <laughs> but 
I think obviously the main thing in this scene is when we find out about his uncle that he never knew about. Yeah, Hercules, because it's like a play on Hercules or something like that. Uh, I'm trying to see if they have a. Oh yeah, Hercules. Yeah. That's they spell it E R C O L I. Um, and yeah, it's it's a weird thing that he just kind of drops in Tony's lap. Um, I guess because he's kind of saying like, oh, the things you know, like don't act like uh, the, you think you know it all. Like you didn't know about this. I mean, I guess it comes up because. Junior's talking about how Tony's father left. Uh, there's no way he didn't leave, you know, big sum of cash for Tony's mother. Because uh, from Tony's point of view, he thinks like, oh, the mother was left kind of high. Olivia was left like high and dry after his dad died. And he's like, oh, please, your mother's like, uh, she's an old lady with a Virginia ham under her arm and crying that she doesn't have any bread or whatever. So, like yes. he has some great lines in this scene. Uh, and then, yeah, he brings up how he even took care of, you know, their, their brother, Hercule, who was, he was, uh, very strong and handsome, but back in those days, they didn't know what to do. Oh, he's handsome. Like George Raft. Who's George Raft? Let me look I it don't up know. real quick. I have no idea. American actor. Oh, he's from, he's in the original Scarface movie. So, you know, just okay. a classic 1930s, 1940s actor. Um, ah, Okay. Um, but yes, you're right. He says like, oh, some people are so far behind the race. They yes. think they're winning and all like yeah. he brings it up because he wants to, I guess he has like a little bit of, can feel a little bit of power and he does, I mean, he does, it does kind of work. He puts him, puts Tony a bit out of balance and then he negotiates maybe a better cut of the game than he would have gotten otherwise. Cause he's like 20%, but Tony's not even like, yeah, 10, five, 5%. He's like, what? I guess. Yeah. Okay. 15 yeah, Tony's really kind of caught off kilter here. Uh, not quite as bad as when he was in Italy and he <laughs> couldn't didn't know how to negotiate, but get another way of Tony kind of getting off balance and losing a little bit in negotiation. Um, yeah. And yeah, like uh, there's a, <laughs> it's not as poetic as some of his other lines, but when he's talking about Hercule and how like you know back then they didn't know what to do. Like today they maybe could have trained him to be a something or whatever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it just made me laugh because it's such a he just trails off into nothing because he didn't have a good like uh good reason there. Yeah, um, and I, I mean we gotta mention this money. It's he's got he mentions it cementing what Livia uh has said before that oh where did my where did I put the money like don't kill uh, me yet yeah. you haven't found the money yet so and sort I'll of. Proving that that wasn't all bullshit. And also, um, I remember my parents arguing, and she always talked about his feeble-minded brother, but I just thought, she's talking about you. <laughs> There's so many great lines in this scene, like uh, going back and forth. Gotta give it up, Frank Redzuli. Good dude. Very true. So then Richie shows up at the sports goods store, and uh, I guess this is where David says that he uh, took out a mortgage and all that. Because this, hey, it's light. Don't worry. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm not gonna. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna fuck you or nothing. I'm just a little light this week. I'll make it up next week. Richie takes it kind of well for being Richie. He's just kind of like, I don't want to see you at any games, which is like an incredibly reasonable thing to ask for because you're just gonna gamble your shit away. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, for especially for what we know, Richie. He's handling this pretty well. Yeah, he's just saying, okay, until you're caught up then, you know, I'm not, I don't want you at games because you're gambling money and probably borrowing more money when you should be paying me. And it's great the way, the way uh, Robert Patrick plays David because you almost buy into his like naive act, but it's, but it's an act. Like he kind of does know, he knows what's going on, but he thinks like he's just going to play it off. Like, Oh yeah, you know, it's going to come back around. Like, don't worry. And I mean, of course we see it big time with the way he talks to Tony because it's, he thinks it's just going to be, this is my friend, Tony. We'll talk about our kids and then he's not going to beat me up. Cause I own fucking 40 grand, yeah. but I feel like he's smarter than that. Like I, I kind of see it there. I mean, maybe I'm just putting that there, but he he thinks he can be this regular guy to these like kind of monster people and it's not going to work. Yeah. Um so then we have Christopher buying some fish and uh pulling a little scam, <laughs> putting a matchbox on the scales and he's sort of smug about it. I don't think he needs to do this monetarily speaking. I think he just sort of has some fun with it. Yeah. Uh 
he's just he enjoys fucking with these people and getting more for less and at the same time he's like telling some stories to his his two goons um i mean he does say that you know leave silvio alone when he's gambling bit of foreshadowing there um and then what else is it some sort of weird little story he tells uh, oh he t- yeah he talks about how silvio sneezed Oh, yeah. And someone said, like, Salu, and he's like, oh, he thinks he said something else. Then next thing you know, he's blaming him for every bad luck or bad card move he gets for the rest of the night. And then, of course, stupid Matt and Sean, they're like, what do you think you say? Like, they're, <laughs> they're doing that thing where they're not paying attention to the story or, like, getting the story. They're just asking stupid questions. Uh, yeah. And they also call themselves Piss Boys, uh, I noticed, if you're a Jim and them fan. Uh, yes. What a great call out for Piss Boys. Do you have a sounder for that? Because, I mean, uh, it is part of the Jim and Them mythos, everyone. Check out jimandthem.com for, for all your uh, piss boy-related content. I guess they're calling themselves piss boys because they're be- basically being told we're just going to clean up. We're just going to yeah. be fucking waiters at this thing. And they don't understand that, well, yes, you're going to be waiters and you're going to be treated like shit, but you're, you're inside now. Yeah. Even Tony was, like, outside looking in when he was probably your age, right? I guess a little bit younger, but, like, looking through the fucking keyhole, you're being brought in, so chill out. But to be fair, I mean, the reaction is like, is this guy for real or what? Which is interesting because it's very different. Like, they're starting to see Christopher as more of a sort of idiot scumbag. They still respect Tony and they respect the big game, but uh, they're sort of, I think, losing respect for Christopher a bit. Can't really blame them. Yeah, yeah, from what we've seen from the beginning of the season till now. But it's also, there's such classic, you know, the exact, like, uh, clearly worse than what Christopher was and or even is uh, as far as not understanding, like, what your, like, what your place is. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, like you said, they're in the game. Like, you know, Tony's giving them orders on stuff to do, and it is bullshit. But like this, you do good here. Clearly, you're gonna be trusted, and then get more. But they're too stupid to see that. And it's great when like one of them calls him T. Like, uh, what's up, T? And he's like, uh, Tony. Um, I'm not. I'm not your friend. <laughs> yes. Um. So then, uh, we have Furio showing up. Is this scene related to anything else happening in this episode? Uh, well, yeah, I guess they're, they're setting up the place yeah, for the game. It's just that's yeah. where the game is, and it's kind of another callback to the Jewish hotel from season one. And it's, uh, we see that they you know, they still got their mitts in there. And I guess it's a kind of another, uh, I mean, I guess kind of foreshadowing of what you know David's in for here because... It's like even though we're not seeing this stuff week to week, like to- like Tony and his crew, they're getting stuff out of that hotel, and they're going to be getting stuff out of this b- sporting business. Uh, you can bet on that shit. Yeah, um, and it's uh, this uh, this clerk is complaining. Oh, you're ruining this place. You're destroying it with all your filth. And then he sort of pu- g- g- grabs one of the girls, like, "Oh yeah, uh, you ever suck his dick or what?" <laughs> and he's like, "Oh yeah, baby." Um, she's like that. Um, so yes, uh, it, kind of putting it, him in his place. And Fury just says something like, "So don't bitch at me. Like, don't. Yeah. I, I don't want to hear this shit." Yes, and another build-up to the game is when Polly Walnuts is pulled over by the cops and pulls a gun on him, and uh, and then they're like, "Hey, ah, uh, buddy, just make it. Here's the money. Just make sure." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, no gunshots, or we have to take the call. You know how it is, man. They're just setting up this uh, this big executive game." Well, and I love Polly's like asking about the kids or whatever, the family. And then the cop starts oh, yeah. to go into his store, and he's like, "Hey, I got my own problems." <laughs> and I mean, he is kind of fucking with him, but it also is—it's classic, uh, Polly. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, how many times am I going to fall for that?" <laughs> Showing that this is a thing that happens a lot, happens all the time. Of course, it does. Then the game starts, and uh, I mean, it goes on for a lot of the episode, I guess, uh, and uh, a long time in universe as well, because I guess they said at the start these guys can go for days, and. Um, and yeah, I mean Tony's bossing around the, the 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 two goons and everything, and Frank Sinatra Jr. is there. Mm. Uh, I guess. Um, I, yeah, played by Frank Sinatra Jr. I was gonna ask. 
but I thought it would be ridiculous, but uh, I guess uh, I guess that's the case. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, he's playing himself, hanging out with uh, Tony Soprano and his crew at the executive game. That's kind of hilarious when you think about it. <laughs> it is pretty funny. Uh, um, yeah, so yeah, I, what I do like about what we see in these scenes is that, yeah, Tony's bossing around, but you do get this, like, it tells us a lot uh, of how, like, Tony seems kind of nervous and excited yeah. because it is such a big deal, and it is, like, I mean, he spells it out more later on when he does, uh, like, the reminiscing. like, Silvio, remember we used to, like, peek through the door and Junior would be chasing us down the street? Like, uh... It is this great, like you're getting the, like how heavy this moment is for Tony. Uh, and even though it is such uh, like a, it's just a poker game. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It, it comes off as like a sweet moment for Tony Soprano. Yes. Uh, only slightly ruined when Davey shows up. And we got to say, I mean, Tony has discouraged him at every step of the way. Like when he asks about it, he's like, no, 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 that's not for you. It's for your own good. I'm telling you. And he shows up. And Tony's even not, like, annoyed that he somehow found out where it was and everything. He just kind of goes out, hey, oh, good to see you. Oh, you, had your, you were coming by, huh? Okay. And then he wants to borrow money to be in the game. And uh, Tony doesn't want him to. But he does allow him to. And, I mean, he must know that it's not going to end well, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, because I was going to ask, in the beginning when he kind of warns him off it, I wasn't sure if he was playing hard to get. But I guess... I do feel like he's he is kind of being genuine, but in the end, he's yeah. not going to turn down another like this is an opportunity to, you know, get your hooks into this guy. Uh, but yeah, I guess I do feel like he is being genuine. He's even being genuine here when he's trying to say, uh, like, don't do it. And then the guy's like, come on, just float me short term. And he's like, well, don't say short term if you can't if you don't mean short term. Uh, but I mean, I guess he does eventually do it. So that part of him does win out, but I do feel like he's kind of genuinely saying like, look, don't do this. This is a bad idea. Well, I think he, at some point mentions that he doesn't want to mix, you know, family and family or whatever. Uh, I don't know what he says exactly, but I got that feeling. And I think that's maybe partly to do with protecting him, but also to do with, he doesn't necessarily want to give Meadow the car of her friend. Like, he wants to keep it separate for, for more than one reason, and that's another reason to sort of turn him away. And I guess, it, uh, yeah, it does make... I mean, he they do get 45 ZD out of it that don't exist, uh, this, these imaginary ZDs. But at the same time, he is in a bit of a bind because he doesn't want to go and beat him to a pulp, but he does want to because he's a happy wanderer. So yeah. that's why it mixes well with the therapy going on. Yeah, and it's so douchey when uh, stupid David, like, it's it, it like gives me douche chills in that right way that they're aiming for when he says, like, yeah, I, you want me to go show these guys your prom picture? Like, he's trying to... He's 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 just being really slimy with the way he's trying to use his like personal relationship with Tony Soprano because he is just this gambler that thinks he's going to like he's he's chasing this big win that no matter what happens no matter what he wins it's never going to be the big win he thinks it is uh I mean I guess that's the standard psychology of gamblers and how, why they yeah. just fucking stick around uh but yeah and and especially I mean the show does go out of its way to show that like Tony's not aware of how deep the guy ends up being in. And it does feel like maybe he would have, he wouldn't have let it get as far as it did. But as far as Christopher or whoever else is there is concerned, Tony let this guy in, floated him five grand. He knows him. I guess it's okay to keep giving him more because <laughs> that's the well, job then, anyways. Yeah. And he wakes up and they say, oh, he's in 45. And I think they say, oh, yeah, I grabbed 10 more while you were sleeping. You said you okayed it. Uh, but that's, that's still right. 35. That's true, So, yeah. I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's well, right. Although I guess, I mean, Tony doesn't know he owes Richie money. He doesn't know he's, like, totally close to bankrupt. So there's a bit of a difference uh, in that. Because he's not happy when, he when Richie shows I mean, he's not happy when Richie shows up for several reasons. But first of all, we get the cheese scene, which yeah. we got to discuss. <laughs> 
because uh, it's really fun to see Silvio freaking out like this because I could easily imagine Polly going off like this, Polly Walnuts, but Silvio has always been pretty zen about almost everything in the show, even when they're killing people or whatever. He's just kind of, oh, Sari, Sarah, you know? But now it's no Sari and no Sarah, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yelling. Well, because Tony tells, uh, I forget if it's Matt or Sean, I think it's Matt, to go sweep up the cheese. He's like, go sweep that up, especially under Silvio. But... As he's doing, he's like hitting Silvio's shoes, and Silvio's already kind of sniping at everyone because he's clearly not doing well. And he goes off on this kid, uh, and then Tony like tries to tell him to calm down, but you can get, you also kind of get the impression that Tony's enjoying what's happening. Uh, yeah, and he's like, "I'm losing my fucking balls over here," and this guy wants to play. Uh, he has some <laughs> reference, and it's just it's hilarious. It's great. Polly's making Viagra jokes about. Uh, because back then Viagra was a new thing, you know, it's, it's the yeah, yeah. year 2000. So it's like, oh, they sent it down to the Titanic to bring it back up to shore or whatever. Uh, yeah. So all great stuff happening. And I love the the we see Silvio the way he's so fired up in this scene. And then when we see him in the morning, he's very happy go lucky. And yeah. obviously he now he's winning. Uh, it's just a nice way to show that. Like he's just in, he's in great spirits by the morning. Yeah. And I mean, he's like, Hey, five of those ZDs are mine or whatever. <laughs> um, but then Richie shows up and fucking ruins the mood. Like he always does. Um, with better justification than usually, but still he couldn't fucking chill out a bit. No, he had to go in and start being all threatening and, and Christopher tries to get him to calm down. And he says, uh, you know, I got a hard uh, got on, a for, hard you on already for you something. already. Yeah. Um, so that happens. Uh, I mean, it's because of his niece, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of what he talked about, uh, in the, like the first episode he's in where it's like, yeah, you want to lay your hands on or give her your last name. So he's still are, he's still a little annoyed at Christopher and yeah, Richie, it, Richie's right to be pissed at David, but he caused a scene which breaks up the game because yeah. now, like Frank Sinatra Jr. is of course like, ah, I don't want to be a part of this. Things now, things are getting coming to a head here. Uh, what you guys are mobsters? Yeah. Nobody told me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's all a misunderstding. But no, no, it's not. We'll just see you next time. We'll settle up next game. Uh, so um, uh, Tony drags him outside, and uh, they they have a little conversation, a little argument, um, and. Richie says, I'm, I'm getting sick of this whole holier-than-thou act, and I'm not the only one. And Tony's like, well, if anyone wants to make a move, oh, yeah. just go ahead and make a move. And Richie's kind of like, don't be so fucking dramatic. <laughs> so, yeah, Richie telling someone uh, not to be so dramatic. When he was ba- he was just threatening to like take over. Uh, yeah. But it, it is interesting because... You know, it's he, he, Richie has to be like, this guy's in into me for like 8,000. And so I don't know what's going through Tony's head where he's like, oh, he's into me for 45. So, like, uh, you know, things are not quite as they seem for uh, happy-go-lucky David here who runs a sporting goods uh, store. Yeah, he looks pretty... I mean, that's kind of... uh, Tony's not really affected by, oh, someone should maybe take over. And then he's like, fuck you. And then he's like, but he owes me 8,000. He's like, what? He owes you 8,000? He he has a look on his face like, huh? And what I think that is, is he thought he was not necessarily super good for 45, but he didn't think he was already in a hole. He Mm. thought he was sort of digging a hole for himself. It's like he says in the opening clip, he made a bet, he lost it, he made another one. He thought this was the first bet, and yeah, I'm kind of... I'm kind of li- letting him make a mistake here, but I'm not letting him end his fucking marriage and life and everything. And uh, he sort of figures out, oh, okay, I guess that's it. Yeah, this guy. it is like, because I mean, he's already like struggling to pay the 8,000. So, yeah. you know, let's see where we're going with this 45. And then, yeah, then he has to go up and confront David, and David's trying to be like, oh, wow, that's Silvio. He's lucky. Oh, man, we should go for his fits. You want to get his fits? <laughs> uh, like, really trying to play it off, uh, What what like, the the severity of the situation here. And then Tony has to, you know, break it down for him. Like, the, we're, not, we're not talking about our kids and what schools they're getting into anymore. 
We're talking about you have two days to give me $45,000 or someone's going to come down to your business every Saturday and collect and it's going around the principal and you're going to have fucking uh, interest on it. Kind of like how Junior spells out like, you know, him and Tony's father were like, hey, we could do a credit card type racket. Let's start putting some money into a game and loaning it out and getting it all back. Uh, so it's yeah, good people stuff. Would, ra- would, would rather be juiced forever than like pay, pay up. And I guess that's the thing it, when you're talking about interest and it getting tacked onto the principal, I guess it means you're just paying, are they just paying interest every week? So it's like going to go on forever. Is that the thing? Yeah, pretty much. And especially if you're light, because yeah, like, you owe forty five thousand. You're supposed to make a payment of five thousand or whatever, but you make a payment of three. Okay, now you owe forty seven thousand. Like it just it gets tacked on, and yes, yeah, so you're yeah. paying forever. <laughs> you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. So uh, th- they have a little nice moment though when they reminisce, as we mentioned, and then Tony's at home sleeping, and he hears someone playing a bass <laughs> and singing, and it's Eric and Meadow practicing, and uh, he's very annoyed about this but also gets another sort of wrench thrown in his whole monkey works uh, when he finds out that someone died. Yes. Mm. So, yeah, here's the question then. This this one is a not counting person, correct? I got to see the specifics, but that's my that's that's what I feel as well. I'm just pulling it up to see. Aunt Barb called Uncle Tom's father died. Yeah, Tom What have we said? You, you got to see the person before or at least it's got to be mob-related or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, we never knew this character as an alive person, so yeah, it can't be alive. Yeah, I, this is more in line with the old lady's funeral they yeah. were at that gave uh, Uncle Junior a hand job behind the dumpster or whatever it was that happened. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yes. Yeah, speaking of which, we get the second meadow scene, and then we go to the funeral. Was there anything you wanted to say about the meadow? Uh, well, I, I do, Melfi. Sorry. Uh, well, the I, I do like that. Uh, you know, Tony's Tony's like. Thing that he has where you know these days you hear someone died no one asks how no one asks what happened because you know to a, to a teenager they don't give a shit just some old people die that's what happens and we kind of see this a little bit in the funeral scene where aj and like meadow are very kind of bored that they're at someone's funeral but as you get older and you're you know tony or even like his parents and uncle junior of course it becomes more of like a reality because you're feeling closer to that death and it's weird that no one seems to care. I guess I can just relate to that in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering who... Uh, okay, Tom... Like, who's Tom? Uh, who is this Tom Giglione? Mm, yeah, because the they mentioned that it was... I don't know. Well, he mentions... You see him almost every Christmas Eve. So he's like yeah. that close enough where he's like... Uh, Maybe not a direct family member, but like how it's like, oh, it's your cousin, but it's just like a friend of your brother or whatever it is. Yeah, but and they give uh, envelopes to some guy at the casket, and I was wondering if that was the son or what, and it I had ass- to be someone in the game, not the executive game, but the mob game, right? Yeah, I assumed it was Tom Jr., uh, and it was just, I assume they were just given envelopes because it's like what you do, like someone gets married, you give them an envelope. Oh, someone's uh, this person's father died, and he's like a friend of ours. So this is how we pay our respects, type deal. Right, and he can't—he can't be in the mob game because Tony's talking to Melfi about how oh he worked all his life and like worked hard and and honest, and then he just died falling off a roof. Yeah, the, sort of adding to his whole dread. Yeah, the wind blew, and then yeah, Melfi breaks it down of like okay, he joined the ranks of the douchebags or the unlucky. He's yeah. not the happy wanderer. He got his. Yes. Um, so uh, Tony sees his mother for the first time in a while because she's there, of course, crying her eyes out. <laughs> and uh, he goes off and smokes a cigar in a different uh, in a different dead person's room with Richie to tell him to uh, fucking chill out. And uh, you're you're not going to get nothing until I get my forty five. Yes, and Richie actually even before that he apologizes because I remember I made a note. I was like, "Oh, Richie apologizes." I was surprised, um, but yeah, Tony taxes him. But even like he even kind of says like, "I have to." You know, how would it look if I didn't do anything here? And we're starting to see a Richie that's, I mean, maybe not falling in line, but you know, like Tony says, like I didn't make these rules; these are just the rules. Like I'm the yeah. boss. That's how it goes. 
And then as we see later, where Richie even says, like, ah, he's the boss. You know, he gave me 50 grand to put on the street when I got out. And then we start to see Janice is egging him on a bit of how, yeah. like, oh, that's nothing. My father gave 50 grand to blah, blah, blah 30 years ago. That's like half a million. First of all, I don't know where she's getting her uh, inflation. I mean, yes, it's probably more. I don't know if I'd go as quite as that it, that it was half a million at the time. Yes. And, I mean, I like this. Uh, I like this scene because I always it's it's a simple thing to do in writing, but I always sort of like when two characters are arguing about something, and then the next scene we see they're sort of defending the other person, oh, which yeah. is essentially what Richie's doing here. Where he's like, "Well, yeah, but he's got to do it because of this and this," and because it instantly makes the character more three dimensional. Because the simpler thing to do is to have the next scene where they're like, "I'm so mad at this character," and then another character comes in like, "But have you thought about this?" And that's usually what happens in like a sitcom or something, where then the two characters get mad and then they're going to reconcile. And this sort of gives the sense that. It makes him more three-dimensional, but also because of Janice, he's being pushed the other way. There's like there this, even though he feels this way, even though we see this three-dimensionality now in episode six, he's going in the other direction and the conflict is just going to grow and keep brewing, making it a sort of bittersweet thing to see and making the conflict more interesting. Yes, yeah, and, and it even plays into... Like we were saying, seeing Richie being somewhat reasonable in his collections, like not just freaking out and like running the guy over or murdering his son or something that we would expect for Richie. Uh, But yeah, yeah. And and it does make it seem like, ah, shit. You almost want to root for them having a better relationship. But yet now we got this Janice variable in the mix and she's pushing them the other way. God damn it. Um, Yes. And then, yeah, and then we- we- oh, weirdly, I think he might be a bit more zen because he has, he, I mean, he's been with Janice at, uh, at the house, making eggs, chilling out, and he hasn't just come out of prison and he needs to run someone over. He's sort of relaxing a bit. But at the same time, Janice is a snake, probably my least favorite character at this <laughs> point, and uh, worse than Pussy, uh, who is a snitch. Uh, because, well, I don't know, Pussy's pretty bad. Uh, but <laughs> but yes, she is really egging it on in a sort of v- very reminiscent of her own mother, who she hates. Of course, her mother would be the person like, oh, 50 grand, la-di-da. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what she's doing. Yeah. Uh, then Tony has to go uh, collect with David because David had... Suddenly, like a doctor's appointment or something came up when uh, one of Tony's guys was supposed to come down to make a collection. And uh, he has to kind of slap him around, let him know the severity of the situation. And we get to see, like, he is kind of nailing it on the nose, but I forgive it, where he's 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 literally saying, like, my luck's going to turn around. It's going to happen. I'm going to be lucky. And, I mean, given we've been talking about the happy wanderer, but we've also, like... It's kind of like the happy-go-lucky, the stuff they've been talking about in therapy. Like, it's really nailing it, but it works. So uh, I'm on board, and I love it. Yeah, I guess the only the thing for me is he never seemed that happy. Like, I never... Like, yeah, he's sort of a, a regular civilian and everything, and he's sort of a blank nothing. Mm-hmm. And he is, he is Tony's old friend, so Tony knows him. But I never really identified him as a carefree person because he's always since the beginning been someone who's looking for money or get, he's he's owed money since before we knew him i guess tony didn't know about it but it, he's not really the perfect happy wanderer but he's close enough yeah and i i see it more as like the same way that like we were talking about at the top of the show like people looking at social media or whatever and getting them the wrong uh, the wrong read from it. I think to Tony, Tony feels like just if, if someone's just a regular Joe, do it. Like he's such a milk toast suburban dad. He's a guy. Yeah. He's got a nice house. He owns his own business. His kids got a car. You know, kids gonna go to a good school. To Tony, he feels like that is he's the guy. He's got it all figured out. Even though Tony, as a you know, an intelligent person knows that not everything is as it seems and everyone has their own problems to him. Uh, that guy's got it easy. And, and also maybe even just to the extent of how the public would see him in comparison to a Tony Soprano, 
And again, yeah. I think that ties into why he has to give Meadow the Jeep. Because Tony says himself, I'm going to sell it to Pussy and I'm going to take the money and do whatever I want with it. He could easily have done that. He could have traded the car in. He could have sold it, got a different car. He could have so many things he could have done, but he's very purposefully gives it to Meadow to be like, look, your friend's dad's a fucking piece of shit. Uh, I'm better than him. Uh, we're great. Yeah. And I mean, the the thing is, she even says, like, he sold it to you. And and he says, yeah, something like that. Like, why doesn't he just say, yes, he sold it to me? Like, because it's the same thing. It's almost, you're right. I mean, he could have done all sorts of things, but it's almost like he wants to get caught, wants to prove, wants to yell these things at Meadow that he does uh, at the start of the episode. Yeah, yeah. And I guess before that, we do catch up with David as he goes to see Artie. And one of the things I like about this, at least my read, is that Artie's clearly lying uh on why he can't give him money right oh, you won't believe you won't believe it but i gotta put a new roof on this place <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, but no, it's almost sure. because uh, i mean well obviously because you don't want to just give someone 20 grand I, I i don't see that i don't see Artie as that well off to be able to just do that but plus Artie probably knows he's a degenerate fucking piece of shit and he's never gonna get that money back if he gives him money yeah, he'd have to contract Tony Soprano to get it back. <laughs> he'd be right back where you started. And also, he wouldn't give it to Tony. He'd gamble it away. I mean, that's the oh, whole yeah. thing. That's his whole issue. And he he knows it's a money pit. I'm not going to put money down this pit. Yeah. Oh, you never believe this. And he does this arty thing, like puts his hands together. Uh, I got to put a new roof on this place. Uh. You know I would have, but, you know, because I do also believe him when he comes in and he's genuinely concerned and like, hey, we'll sort you out. We're going to help you. But it's like, yeah, if you asked for 2000 maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. for 20 Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, then we, of course, catch up as he, he goes home, looks, finds an excuse on why to take his son's Eric's truck away because there's a little mud on the tires. And, oh, you've been off-roading again. It's like, Dad, I dropped some girls off at cheerleading practice. Like, it, it is yeah. such a shit excuse either way. Uh, and then, you know, uh, Eric is like, fuck this family. Like, I mean, I don't blame him, but also no. it's just like a teenage, like, you're not owed a car. You, you probably didn't pay for it. So go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I mean, I was really looking at, like, the steps up to the house. Like, oh, yeah, you got some nice stuff. And then I remembered, like, because I was counting in my head, $45,000, it's a lot, but I, that house is probably worth a lot. And then I was like, oh, the second mortgage, right. Of course, you give him the car. And um, yeah, that's, I mean, well, Tony's happy with it. He's not going to get beaten up right away. Well, and then even giving him the car, I have to imagine the car is like over 20000 Yeah. But it's not like Tony's going to give you a $20,000 credit. Like, yeah. Like okay, this knocks off five. Like it's it's he's getting pennies on whatever he gives him, so it is it's it sucks. Uh, but hey, that you you're a grown man, you made a wager. Uh, you made yeah, it, when you, you lost. Dr- when you drive out the lot, it's, it loses ninety percent of its value. Haven't you heard? Absolutely. Uh, then yeah, then we get to what we've been talking about, where he gives it to her, and I I love Carme- like Carmela's reaction because first Meadow well. well we started at the beginning. Meadow's like, I knew it was a car. And that's fucking annoying to me. Uh, that <laughs> she's, she's not immediately like, oh, my God, a car. She's like, I knew it, a car, finally. Uh, then she gets in, and as she sits in, I think it's like there's even something on the rear view. It's like Eric's like headband or something. Like There's stuff yeah. in there. That, like, it's not even like it's hidden for a moment whose car it is. And then uh, even Carmela has to be like, oh, my God, <laughs> what are you doing? What is this? <laughs> Yes. Um, so then it's the cabaret night. That's um, what it was, cabaret. God damn it. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, Tony's really stopping and smelling the flowers a whole bunch in this scene. How do you? What do you read that from? What do you read from that? I don't know. It is one of those pictures that always pops in my head, though, when I think of the Sopranos. For some reason, is when Tony's sitting because sitting in the recital and he's just smelling the flowers. Um, I mean, I guess, yeah, he is literally stopping to smell the flowers. But I also love the moment that Richie has a bigger flower arrangement than he does, like a much nicer one. Yeah, and he says, didn't I see those at the wake? <laughs> sort of tying into as well. I mean, he he brought the flowers to uh, to Livia, and then Janice just brought them home, I think, or mm. something like that, right? Yep. Uh, but yeah, it's this sort of 
shitty looking bunch of flowers in comparison and he's sort of smelling it but he's smiling the whole way and even when he finds out Livia's there he's just sort of hmm and he doesn't even turn around he just keeps on smelling the flowers and uh, I guess that's how you win a fucking Emmy yeah yeah Uh, and I love well I mean it should be we need to recognize it here I don't think it's gonna, gonna go on the counter but Eric does storm out of the recital Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> because I mean he's understandably pissed off, and you know he has to blame Tony Soprano, even though it is you know his father's fault. And then we even see Meadow kind of defending him in a way because she has to. That's her whole life. Her whole like everything she has is it's exactly as Tony said. Uh, you know, it's not like my dad stole it, and he's just like fuck you and fuck your gangster father. And I love yeah. that. He storms out, so they make the announcement uh, that Meadow has a solo, and then Carmela's like, "I wonder what happened." It's like, what? "No, you don't. You know what happened?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> D- do you get the sense because they sort of look at Eric's parents getting up and leaving? Oh yeah. Do you, do, is it like, "Oh, Tony's fucking with us"? They they think it's Tony doing this somehow as like payback or something, right? Oh, like Tony kind of uh, like purposely made it so meadow had a solo type deal yeah yeah i mean i guess or it's just i I mean they must know that their son's clearly upset so either way yeah i thought uh i thought it was like uh, tony's there like oh no they're gonna (laughs) well he doesn't care but like oh they're gonna think i'm doing this whatever i don't give a shit (laughs) um and uh yeah let's see what what Oh yeah, he does. She, she gets Titanic, right? She gets yes. my heart will go on. What a fucking great callback to the Viagra joke from earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another Titanic reference. And one thing I had to point out in my notes is the announcer's talking, and he's like, you know, uh, make sure you're quiet and blah 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 during the performance. And if you think you're gonna cough and you need a lozenge, make sure you unwrap it now. And then everyone starts laughing. Everyone uh-huh. laughs really hard at that line for some reason. I was like, "Why the fuck is why is everyone laughing at that?" Because it makes like a crinkly little noise, Jim, and they don't want to hear it on the recording. Is that I laugh think it's out loud it's, funny? Yeah, no, it's because it's like one of those situations where you're you're so bored that like <laughs> it's like when you're at a funeral or something, and it's like the shittiest joke, like anything to break the boring monotony of sitting and listening to all these kids and. Uh, I mean, imagine being AJ. You don't even care about hearing Meadow sing. And then, like, oh, fucking thank Christ someone said something that's even remotely, I don't know, not soul-crushing and boring about Titanic. Well, what's interesting, too, is that you would expect that they would announce that and then just have Meadow come out and sing her solo for the credits. But they have the other girl that, like, had the solo originally that Meadow was kind of, like, annoyed uh, yeah. I don't really have a read on it. I just thought it was an interesting choice the way they do it. Yeah, I mean, the boring answer is, well, you know, they got to find the sheet music for <laughs> My Heart Will Go On <laughs> and that. But but yeah, it is sort of interesting because she, she, they sort of hang on her a bit before as well, like in the previous scene. And then they have her for the outro. And I don't know who that is. Um, you're right. I don't, I don't know what to make of that. Hmm. But anyways, that's Happy Wander. Happy, this is like a really great episode. Uh, I understand why uh, Gandolfini would get nominated uh, slash win an award because he's awesome. And uh, this is a good episode. Yes, Trip Sizzle in the chat agrees. The ending was kind of odd here. Uh, and then, the, I mean, they maybe it's just they want to have something really classic sounding and then fade it into the Happy Wanderer, which plays over the uh, over the credits. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I guess, yeah, they they don't want to pay for my heart will go on to be on the show. I'm sure, especially at the time, it was probably pretty expensive. Uh, you could oh, yeah. maybe blame Jamie Lynn Sigler's singing skills, but she did put out a few records like since or during even during her Sopranos career. So you can't insult her in that. She's a pop act, or she was. Okay. Well, that is that episode. Uh, we didn't tally up any counters, but we did get a big game, an executive game. And I think you mentioned before that this was one of the things they hinted at, like previously, right? This game, they mentioned it at some point. They mentioned a different game. They mentioned Feach Lamana's game, or Lamanta. So okay, don't worry. So we still got that. Yeah. Still, that's still coming. It's okay, still great. in the chamber. Well, 
Well, well, well. Uh, so, as we mentioned earlier, if you want to hear more about Piss Boys, please do check out jimandthem.com. Uh, for my stuff, you can find uh, everything I make at awesomepedia.org. Of course, you can also... Uh, f- it's kind of a coincidence. We're at Season 2, Episode 6 of The Sopranos, and we're pretty much right now going through Season 2, Episode 6 of both uh, Westworld and... Uh, I was about to say Gilead Gazette, but the show is called Handmaid's Tale. Our podcast, where we discuss it, is called Gilead Gazette, and the Westworld one is called Westworld Theories. So you can search for that on your podcast app of choice, and you should be able to find it. That's Gilead Gazette and Westworld Theories. And uh, if it's not on your podcast app of choice, please do send us a tweet at shows what you know. That's you with the letter U. Uh, what else, Jim? Oh, there's one more thing. What's that? Cuts a black. <laughs>